0: Irish filmmaker Lorcan Finnegan's psychological thriller Nocebo explores themes like consumerism, human exploitation and the fast fashion industry – Finnegan looked at similar themes through the prism of house purchase in his 2019 award-winning film Vivarium, which starred Jesse Eisenberg in Nusiba. Christine, a fashion designer, is played by Ava Green. Uh, the character is suffering from a mysterious illness that puzzles her doctors and frustrates her husband Felix, played by Mark Strong. But help arrives in the form of a Filipino carer who uses traditional folk healing to reveal a horrifying truth. Delighted to have director Larkin Finnegan with me in, in studio this evening. Just that the, the title of the film, first of all, uh, Larkin, yeah. nocebo has to be related
1: to placebo. I'm guessing exactly. It's uh, placebo's evil twin. Basically, <laughs> um, it's the power of the mind to harm the body, um, whereas placebo um, uses the mind's power to heal the body. So, had you was that the starting point for this tale? Yeah, exactly. Gareth Shanley, the screenwriter and I, has had an interest in placebos and placebos, and we started doing research into that area. And, you know, in Ireland, there was uh, a tradition of folk healing um, and we had these wise women uh, who kind of <clears throat> almost got eradicated with uh, the arrival of Christianity and followed by colonialism. And we, uh, as we kind of started researching further, we started thinking of where in the world um, is folk healing still common practice and that led us to the Philippines and uh, so Garrett and I went to um, Cebu, um, the island of Cebu and the, an island called Sequahor, which is a small island nearby, which is known as the Island of the Witches, where um, the sort of folk healing is, is sort of epicentre. And um, we met faith healers, you know, practitioners of Kulan, which is like black magic there, um, and also tribal chiefs of the Ati and Bajau tribes. We talked about, um, you know, their folklore, our folklore. And there was weird kind of similarities actually between them, even though they're like 7,000 miles apart. Mm. They even had the, uh, you know, to escape a fairy circle, turning your jacket inside out. And we have the same thing here. So um, through our research, we basically started seeing this connection between um, shamanism, um, colonialism, the rise of um, capitalism and consumerism and how they're all kind of connected. Um, And we made this story about the sort of ancient forces um, of the past clashing with modern contemporary forces.
0: Well, we, I'll come back to, because there, there are so many interesting topics in and around the, the idea of Nocebo and the fear. Even when you say black magic, that in itself says mm. something. Let's But let's just put it to the one side for the moment to, to give a sense of where we are in the real world or the contemporary world of this film and the character of Ava Green. Uh, who is she and, and what's what's happening to her as the film starts so- out?
1: She's a, a fashion designer. She has a kid's fashion brand. And at the beginning of the film, um, she's having a show and um, she gets a call and she hears some terrifying news. At the same time, she's visited by a kind of um, a dog that's slightly spectral that uh, shakes his body and ticks fly off. One of the ticks sticks to the back of her neck and gives her uh, an illness, which is sort of a tick-related illness. I'll yeah. say.
0: Okay. Because th- that moment with the dog shaking and as you say those those ticks coming off reminded me in in some ways of is it the green Mile I'm thinking of you know where is, <laughs> oh yeah yeah coming out of his mouth where, where the, the kind of the, the illnesses are taken in and yeah, yeah. spewed out by the the healer mm. you know so it felt like a similar world in some ways but the Ava Green character I mean she is this fashion designer very successful fashion designer mm. apart from this illness. How did you get Ava Green on board? This is a woman who, you know, has a phenomenal career and obviously the Bond films is where, the Bond film is where Casino Royale is where most people will know her from.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I thought she'd be great in the role. Um, she's an amazing actor. Um, she also, the character goes through a lot in the film um, from being sick to then being better and looking fabulous to then going way downhill towards the end. Um so Ava kind of has that range um she can kind of really uh, go there you know uh, and she can also look incredible. So um but that's you the director I can see why you wanted to well, yeah, yeah okay yeah. <laughs> so, so how did
0: you her. persuade her that you know yeah. yes you had Jesse Eisenberg in Vivarium and you would had Yeah well actually with she Vivarium. saw
1: Vivarium. All ah, right so that and was the And in- she really in- she loved it. Yeah um and uh, her agent had seen the film and sent it to her to check it out and then I thought she'd be great, so we offered her the part we sent her the script um she read it pretty quickly and she she really liked it. she was really connected with the material um she really liked the themes we were uncovering she liked the character and uh, she came on board quite early and then we kind of me and Gart uh did some tweaks and stuff to help make the character her own you know throughout the the script yeah so she had she's a great collaborator,
0: yeah, she had a certain input at that point I'm, yeah I'm yeah, yeah,
1: I think it's always good to um collaborate with actors in that way so yeah. they can feel they feel really connected to the material then when you go to shoot so we know that she's ill and that there's something
0: something awry certainly uh, when that dog appears because there is a kind of a supernatural feel to, uh, to some aspects of the film itself explain then out of nowhere a stranger arrives at the door ding dong hi I'm Diana I'm here
1: I'm ready to go who is she? It's Mary Poppins from, from the Philippines. Not quite yeah. Mary Poppins now, it has to be said. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, Diana is um, a comes to help her um, because her family life is suffering and her business is suffering. Mm. Um, so Diana comes to help her as a nanny um, but then also introduces her to folk healing. Uh, she thinks that maybe she can help her by um, using... A little bit of her own traditional folk healing. yeah. D- uh,
0: Diana clearly has has mm-hmm. a gift in this. We see her quite early on. Ava um, Green's character has a pin in her shoulder. She mm. kind of lays her hands over the shoulder, and suddenly the pain is gone, and she's laughing because she feels she's been tickled. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> we see that we see that uh, the Diana character has some power. Who's who's the actor that
1: plays As Chai she's, uh She's she's from the island of Cebu. Uh, she's a Incredible actor. I think she gives an amazing performance in this film. Yeah,
0: and here she is in a scene, um, Chai uh, Finan- Financier, as you say, playing the character of Diana. Uh, Christine Eva Green confesses uh, that the origins of her illness may be linked to the Philippines in some way, and she's a little bit worried about that. So Diana offers the use of traditional healing to ease her pain, but trust is a big issue here. So let's listen to the interaction between the two of them. I get rashes, hair loss, bad headaches, nerve pain, and I
2: shake. I get dizzy and absent-minded, and sometimes I don't know where I am. I smell things that are not there.
0: My symptoms come and go, and they vanish when I visit the doctor. Sometimes I
2: think I have lost my mind.
3: It's easier to have
2: you read it than for me to say it. Uh, Please. I had an encounter with a dog, a hideous thing. I don't know where it came from. There were ticks, clusters of them hanging off the animal. I have nightmares
3: about that dog. It bite you? No, a tick did. Then my problem started. You helped the tremors and memory, but you have cures to
2: the other problems. I can help you, but it's not forever. Yeah, I understand. And I would, of course, compensate you for this extra work. No, no, I don't want that. But it's only right. No, but I need you
0: to
3: help me. How? You trust me.
0: There we go. Chai Finassier as Diana and Eva Green as Christine in a scene from Lorcan Finnegan's new—it uh, was his new, new album, but it's his new, new film, <laughs> no, no, no. Nocebo. Um, the the kind of the, the, the super. And I'm saying using the word supernatural, but I guess that's probably unfair given the type of research that you did in the Philippines around uh, folk healing. Can you explain? Uh, and I don't know if this is a total invention within the film or not. This idea of an Omo, Ongo. a type of woman.
1: Oh uh, yeah, it's an Omo. Oh, Which, oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um, they are a healer, um, but they have supernatural powers and they're kind of given these uh, supernatural powers by somebody who would have come before them and the supernatural power is kind of um, embodied as a black bird that mm. lives inside their body and when they die, it goes on to somebody else and so on and so forth. And is that is that a tradition that is believed in or is it... Uh... Yeah, it's a Cebuano sort of Visayan Folklore, um, yeah, it's an aspect of that. Where uh, actually there was a um, this guy Joel, who's a chief of the Bajau tribe in Cebu, was telling us about this and describing the bird and everything. Um, but this film as well, like it's a co-production between Ireland and the Philippines. So like after we did that research trip, we pitched the project at Macau uh, co-production market in China, and then brought on. Uh, we're trying to find a, a co-producers from the Philippines to. Uh, team up with and do it as a collaboration so
0: yeah cuz there are there are it, it it initially most of it is set uh, is is it shot in
1: London was it shot, in, shot in Dublin, Dublin. in Palmerston Park but ah, for right. London and we changed license plates and all yes, that yes yeah,
0: yeah. cuz there's a, there's a feeling of this fine big house, and I wasn't sure whether it was a fine Dublin house or a fine London house. But yeah. it, it's a big capital city. Is the important yeah. is the important detail? But you, it's as as the film progresses, we see more and more of action of some of the action taking place in in the Philippines, and yeah. we get into the fast fashion industry. Was that
1: something specifically that you wanted to target? Um, yeah, exactly. That was sort of um, that was something that we had in mind from the beginning, but we weren't sure if it was going to work. We had, we, you know, these projects start and a sort of... Hmm. Um, abstract way and then as we uh, do more research and the elements start coming together to create the narrative so we knew that that was an aspect of, of the story. Yeah
0: because um, you know I said it in in, the, in some ways having a go was too simple a way of putting it but you're certainly in Vivarium there was a critique of the obsession with owning a house in some ways and with, yeah, bang, yeah. And with, and with the property uh, market mm-hmm. and here we have this this idea that perhaps all is not quite what it seems in the fast fashion industry as well. Is, is there a very strong kind of critique aspect to your filmmaking that wants to do that as well as have this psychological horror and terror yeah. aspect in the film?
1: I think genre films are a great way at looking at our society from a different perspective and sort of allow you to explore certain aspects of ourselves um, by breaking the rules of reality, and um, and that's you know folklore had that purpose in the past anyway in society as a for from practical reasons of like keeping children from disappearing off in the woods walking out mm. in the middle of nowhere to also kind of moral and societal kind of uh, shaping you know through our uh, our folklore so to us um, film the films that we're, we're making are sort of contemporary folklore done through film.
0: And, and there's there's sometimes a brightness in that and there's sometimes real darkness in that. As yeah. Well. <laughs> Which from your laugh I'm getting is is part of it that you really enjoy.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean it's it gets quite nightmarish um, but I think it's yeah, the, it's hard to describe what exact genre it would be like whether it's a psychological thriller or supernatural yeah. thriller or um, it definitely has elements of the supernatural throughout. Or, or contemporary critique on yeah, various exactly, industries yeah. that, <laughs> that, yeah, that yeah, is yeah. in
0: there too. Do you know where you're setting your targets for film, uh, the f- next film? Or are you at uh, that point
1: yet? Yeah, War. War, <laughs> yeah, taking on a big, big one there, big,
0: big topic there. <laughs> but, um, uh, lots of it around, I guess, is, is part yeah, of yeah. what's going on there. Well, congratulations on on the film at any rate, uh, Lorcan, and good to see you again. Thank you very Thanks much for coming in. Thanks That's for it. having me. Lorcan Finnegan talking to us about his new film, Noceba. It will be shown tomorrow in the Everyman as part of the Cork International Film Festival and will then be in cinemas nationwide from December the 9th. You can find out full details on Cork Film Festival no sorry Corkfilmfest dot org You're listening to Friday Night's Arena. That is "Lay Song, the opening track from Chris Thiele's current album called Les Songs. The MacArthur Fellow and Grammy Award winning mandolinist, singer, songwriter and composer is at the National Concert Hall on November the 15th. Thiele is a founding member of... Groups like Nickel Creek, the Punch Brothers and you may have gathered he's a musician who can settle into many genres from classical to bluegrass, from folk to jazz and among his collaborators Dolly Parton, Paul Simon, Jacob Collar, Yo-Yo Ma, Brad Meldo and that list goes on for quite a long time. Chris joins us um, from the UK. He's there on that leg of his tour at the moment but he's going to talk to us a little bit about what he will be doing at the National Concert Hall. Tell me first of all, Chris, about that wonderful song that we just heard, it opened the the new album lay songs it's called les song tell me more about it
4: well lay song uh, it was a term I, I maybe I came up up with I, I'm not sure it, it's a it's a spin on layman the you know the idea of someone who's who's sort of in but not of the church and um, I had been impressed by I think the human proclivity to replace some of the religious rites and and traditions with uh, secular equivalents in in an effort to to experience that same sort of uh, disavowal of self and sort of you know, emphasizing the importance of, of communion with, with our fellow man. and I, I think we need that no matter what, wh- whether we're the kind of people who still get it uh, in a church service or, or whether we get it like in a jam session at a pub, um, we need it. I have this sense that there are that, that any song ultimately becomes a hymn. Uh, and so that's that sort of the, sort of the idea behind that song and kind of became the idea behind the whole record.
0: Yeah, because it sounds to me, if we if we look down the the, the track list, of really for right beneath that is Ecclesiastes two twenty four. Underneath that is a God is alive, magic is afoot. So is, if this isn't too heavy a question, is music really a, a pretty much a spiritual exercise for you? I think it's a religion of sorts.
4: Yeah, I was I was raised with a ton of of organized religion. I mean, my 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 folks. Uh, raised me as, as sort of a fundamentalist Christian, and and I have since uh, you know moderated rather dramatically. So have they, actually. To their credit, they they kept their ears wide open uh, as I went gallivanting on tours where I met tons of people who didn't believe the same as me and didn't seem like they were going to hell to me. And so it became became very difficult for me to, to to subscribe wholesale to the religion of my youth, and I, I started venturing outward, and music music became the anchor you know so i could i could go and explore but would always come back to music yeah. and and have always i think benefited from that as sort of the centering agent of of my life music rewards maybe even demands exploration you know it's it's constantly it, it's alive and so it's yeah. constantly changing things that are alive are changing that's maybe <laughs> maybe why you you, you find me, uh, you know, from record to record, song to song even on a record, uh, you know, doing so much exploration.
0: Yeah, well, I was going to say, if we if we continue the religion metaphor for just a moment, you're certainly multi-denominational when it comes to your styles <laughs> <laughs> <Stats> of music. <laughs> Why don't we just listen to another track on the album to give a sense of various styles? We've, we've been talking a lot about, um, I suppose, religion up until now in some ways. Uh, you mentioned the lay aspect of things. Certainly things get... Uh, a little bit more Bacchanalian when we come down to a a track called Dionysus. Let's have a listen. Yes. It's a song called Dionysus from Chris Thiele's new album, an album called Lay Songs. Yeah, as I said going into that, Chris, it sounds to me as if you were certainly in fun mode. That's that's an original song. That's one of your own.
4: It is, and and was, um, you know, there was there was this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna forget the author's name, but my parents, as they started, as they started sort of widening, you know, the scope of their of their beliefs, opening themselves up to the the stuff that my my brothers and i were coming back home with mm-hmm. uh, my mom sent me an essay uh, that was all about the importance of wine uh, <laughs> in in healthy human relationships and I gotta say and it, you know it was, it was written by I know for sure it was written by an actual priest uh, who felt like a good glass of wine with friends was a was a way you know to kind of mm-hmm. cut through uh, the haze of self-absorption and, and you know get to get to a place where you could actually hear what your you know what your interlocutor is, is saying and I, I, you know, I'm not here to advocate for uh, alcohol use, but I do, I, I have to agree that I find my ears widen after a couple sips of a nice glass of wine or um, or a good Guinness for that matter.
0: Yeah, yeah, you, um, you know, you mentioned, so you, obviously that kind of joyous aspect of the, the Dionysian or the Bacchanalian is is in that song for sure. But, you know, there, there's a very contemplative side to some of the music as well. I'm thinking in particular mm-hmm of some of the some of the tracks that you've done with Yo-Yo Ma and, and Edgar Meyer, Yo-Yo Ma and cello, mm. Edgar Meyer on bass, the music of Bach, which to me has a certain kind of, uh, whatever you want to call it, spiritual element to it for sure. But it oh, strikes absolutely. me, on on those, on, I'm thinking of one of the partitas in particular, um, no, it's trio Sonata, in fact, sorry, um, in, in number six in G major, the second movement of that, mm. they both have bows. So they can make these big, long legato-style movements on their instruments—the mm-hmm. bass and the cello. Poor old Chris is a plectrum, and yeah, he has eight strings. Okay, but he is a plectrum. How how difficult is it to, you know? The kind of fun, the bacchanalian, the fast, the bluegrass, I can see how the mandolin sits so easily there. How difficult is it in music like Bach, mm. in music with a more kind of flowing sense to it?
4: Yeah, yeah. The, you know, really sort of, you you have to conjure a sense of lyricism on the mandolin. It, it doesn't really exist, uh, certainly not relative to titans of lyricism, like the bowed bass or the or the mm. bowed cello, violin, of course, um, any number of woodwinds and horns. And, um you know, even even pianos have a great deal more sustain than the mandolin does. One could argue a guitar as well, with the mm. with the lower string tension and the bigger string diameter. So so you have to lean in. I mean certainly there's a, there's a you, you can conjure a, a certain sense of lyricism. people human beings pick up intent remarkably well, even if they're not in the room with with a musician, if the intent of the gesture is lyrical, people will hear it as a lyrical gesture to a certain extent. but then also, I think to Play with the idea of the the fleeting, uh, you know, the the impermanence of a mandolin note like that can actually it can be kind of heartbreaking that it does go away, that life itself is fleeting. I mean, you know, I think there there can be great poignance in Mm -hmm. that sound. And so as long as you, you know, as long as you take care to you know, intend what you, what you wish to intend, but then, um, but don't try and cover it up. Don't try and mask the fact that the instrument doesn't have much sustain. Um, but rather go forward, um, confident that that could be a virtue
0: well certainly that is what that is what happens in the Bach tracks that I was listening to and it's a good it's a good way to go into them and and well worth thinking of however you mentioned the piano (laughs) there as well Uh, you are coming to Ireland let's I'm sure you know the track that I'm going to play a little bit of now let's oh yeah Brad Meldo on piano and you on mandolin and I'll I'll be asking you your next question in Irish so you better be ready
4: oh oh boy oh boy
0: Chris Teele your starter for 10 is can you translate the words Turdom do love can you translate those into English for me
4: Someone, you know what? Someone gave me the meaning. Uh, I think the last time I was there, and I have completely misplaced it. I am, I'm, I'm embarrassed before I stand, ashamed in front of you and your listeners. What That's is?
0: That's it? okay. It is. Give me your hand and remember that for the concert hall. I presume. Give
4: me your hand.
0: hand. Yes, tour de love. Yeah, it's a kind oh. of a, obviously it's a proposal of marriage and it's often used uh, in in weddings in, in here in Ireland. You won't have Brad Meldow on the stage with you of the National Concert. You will have Sam Amadon. Will there be a little version of that? or Am I asking you too much to divulge? Oh, I like it.
4: I love the idea. I love the idea. I played it. I'm almost positive I played it last time. It's the only thing. And I I, I get I get fairly obsessed with <laughs> presenting a, a brand new show every time I'm in a a, a given yeah. location. But that that's not to say it won't be there. I, what I can guarantee is that I'll be, I, I will dive into the Irish songbook in some way or another, um, because there—and I, I promise—I'm not brown nosing you. I mean, there, there's not a greater influence on my work than, yeah, than Irish music. I mean, you know, the the centerpiece of my vocabulary is is fiddle tunes, and so many American fiddle tunes are, are in fact Irish fiddle tunes, <laughs> and uh, the ones that aren't are so are so heavily influenced by Irish fiddle tunes that they might as well be. So the cornerstone of my musical language. And, and um, I can remember that, the, so there's a, a great American banjo player, Tony Furtado, who, who hipped me to, um, oh, well, well, first, actually, I'd run across uh, Solas uh, on A Prairie Home Companion when I played, I played it for the first time when I was maybe 13, 14. You know, Seamus Egan and Winifred Horan and the rest of that extraordinary band were there. And I fell in love with it, and um, I bought everything that they had made up to that point. And then this buddy of mine, Tony Furtado, great banjo player in the States, turned me on to Planksteen, and it changed my life. Oh, wow. Um, Hearing Andy Irvine um, with that delicious counterpoint behind these just foundations of the earth style melodies, uh, whether it was him singing or Christy Moore, I felt like... I had uncovered, you know, a part of myself that I didn't know existed. And,
0: and um, in fact, that Tour on the Love" that we've just listened to you playing with Brad Mellor, is in one of their famous. It's one of the famous moments in planksty when they turn one of the tunes. Absolutely, and they turn into that uh, that Tour them the Love" track, and it's a beautiful moment musically. Chris, that's can- the first time I. That's the first that's time the first you heard, time it. I heard it. Ah, well. Mm,
4: and that's and that's when I when when Brad asked me, Brad and I were uh, Brad Meldown and I were, were planning to to have this collaboration. Um, that was one of the first things I sent him. I thought I I, I said to him, I think we should cover one of these Planksteen numbers. Uh, and I sent him I sent him a few, and, and that was one of the ones that caught his ear.
0: Listen, I could speak to you all night, and um, we've only scratched the surface of what it is yeah, you do. It's true. What you do, Chris. It's an absolute pleasure to to speak with you. I'm looking forward to hearing what might be the the new irish tune that you will have in the concert hall i'm looking forward yeah. to, to you boasting that you know what turdom the love means. I know you'll you'll pretend that you right. that. You yeah. say, so, Yeah, I've been working on my Irish up uh, for the last year and a half. <laughs> so <laughs> I will say to you in Irish now, slan. So slan is an easy one. You can you can give me the uh, same greeting back.
4: Now and and slan right back right back at you. That that was a, a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Not at all. That's Chris Teeley. and Chris is uh, currently on tour, coming to the National Concert Hall, November the fifteenth. Full details on nch.ie dot I. And so to our album reviews Just two for you this evening The Boss is back on the first one It's called Only the Strong Survive It is the 21st studio album from Bruce Springsteen Second covers album by the New Jersey Star It takes a look back at the music that inspired him growing up And the second album that we will be looking at is Ha Ha Heartbreak from Belgian singer and songwriter, producer that Alan Korr tells me I should say as Warhouse. So I'm going to call him Warhouse however. <laughs> the songs were written in Sicily <laughs> while Martine Devildare, and we're all going to call him that, was nursing a broken heart. Andrea Cleary, Alan Cor have been listening, both sitting opposite me this evening. We'll start with the boss himself, Bruce Springsteen. Turn back the hands of time, the single released uh, out today with his new album Only the Strong Survive. This is the the the, the single Turn Back the Hands of Time.
1: The pain so deep the hurts getting stronger.
0: It ramps up a key and Brucey takes a little rest before he sets into the next section of Turn Back the Hands of Time. Uh, Full tone higher, it sounds like to me. That is the uh, single from, uh, the latest single from the new album from Bruce Springsteen, Only the Strong, Only the Strong Survive. Uh, Does he need to turn back the hands of time? It It sounds as if he wanted to do it in the songs that he chose here. Just remind us of... Bruce Springsteen and his relationship with covers. First of all, if you would, Andrea Cleary and uh, Alan Cork Did I say that are my reviewers on this Friday evening? Yeah. Uh, Bruce's relationship with cover albums. First of all, Andrea.
3: Yeah. So he he has a long relationship with covering. I mean, he's he's covered uh, Christmas songs as well as uh, as we all know. Mm. He he really. I feel like when you get to the stage when when you're making 21 albums, did you say this is his 21st yeah, album? Studio album. <laughs> it gets to the point where you're going to have to start playing other people's music. Um and I think that with w- with Bruce he he won't choose a cover uh for the sake of it. I, I genuinely think that these are songs. This is a once abandoned collection of covers that he returned to in in early lockdown and he wanted to return to so Some more obscure kind of soul mm. songs and some are obviously very, very famous as well. So it's it's like, like, like the rest of his career, it's it's a mix of the kind of the the well-known yeah. stuff and wanting to okay. introduce us, just new stuff.
0: Alan Carr, did I see your eyebrows rise twice, in fact, while Andrea was speaking? But the first one I noticed, I think, was when she said uh, after 21 studio albums or 21 albums, I suppose there comes a time when you have to
2: sing other people's music
0: did I see your eyebrows no, rise at that time? No, I just remember I left the
2: immersion on Sean. It was nothing to do with what Andrea said. What, what, no, I, I would agree with her. I think that this is essentially a, his love letter to the golden yeah. age of, of soul and, and R&B in the 60s and the 70s. And you can really hear him, you know, play these kind of songs with his first band, The Castiles, way back on the Jersey Shore, back in the, the, the mid-60s. So this is his variation, I think, on, you know, the great American songbook that did so well for Rod Stewart and Bob Dylan. Over mm-hmm. the past decade, it's immaculately played. He's surrounded by a great band. He's got the E Street uh, band horns on here. That's him on guitar. Yeah. Beautiful Steve Cropper t- kind of licks going on. That's great horn well. section. It sure is. <laughs> great horn section. Uh, amazing drummer. So I think this is him paying homage to. Black music, the kind of black music that influenced him. Because he's he's an inveterate rocker. People might forget that he has a soul background as well.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, And you are very keen to point out that that's him singing as well, Andrea, which suggests (laughs) to me that you think his 73-year-old vocals are in fine fettle.
3: He sounds incredible. He sounds genuinely incredible. I mean, the last time a lot of us will have seen him will be when he joined Paul McCartney on stage at Glastonbury earlier this year. And as blown away as I was, I'm I, I'm a McCartney mm-hmm. girl, true and true, but as blown away as I was with Paul, when Bruce came out, I genuinely couldn't believe that it was him singing. He, he sounds yeah. absolutely immaculate mm-hmm. across this album and from what I've seen of him do, do, doing it live. It seems as though there's literally no stopping him and there's there's these really kind of like hammy voc- like, uh, spoken word v- vocals as well and it, it hits you like a ton of bricks as soon as <laughs> mm, the album yeah. starts and it's just I don't know if if you hate yeah. Bruce Springsteen don't listen to the first song on this album because you'll hate it more but I found it just so charming
0: It's is the first song on the That's uh, oh, the yeah, I was say, yeah. it, is, it is the yeah, title track It is So if you hate him you might want to turn on the kettle very loudly right Avoid. now yes. um, Let's have a listen to Only the Strong Survive
1: So listen to me, get up off your knees, cause only the strong survive, that's what she said. Only the strong survive, only the strong survive.
0: There you go, a little bit of talkie at the top from Bruce Springsteen and Only the Strong Survive uh, from his latest uh, album, Alan Carr. If dare I put it put in any note of doubt here, if this wasn't Bruce Spring, if it wasn't Bruce Springsteen doing this would you be spitting fire at me across the desk?
2: I kind of would, yes, obviously. I mean, if anybody's going to tackle songs where the great Jerry Butler and written by Gamble and Huff, the songwriting partnership credit with making the classic Philly sound back in the 70s, songs by Dovie Gray, um, songs by uh, The Supremes, stuff like that. There is a couple of dud notes mm. on this, though. Mm. And the main one is Night Shift. His cover version of the Commodore's Night Shift, which of course is the great 1985 yeah. song playing tribute to the late Marvin Gaye and Jackie Wilson, is just incredibly mm. awful. And <laughs> we really need to hear another <laughs> oh. version of what becomes of the brokenhearted mm. because it is Jimmy Ruffin's song and that's as simple as that. And also his version of The Sun Ain't Gonna Shine Anymore, The Walker Brothers, yeah, there's and that's t- it. Too many tracks, of course. 14. 15 tracks, yeah. yeah Rather to, a lot. Yeah. But to, to 11 is with, good, 12 I, is good. I agree with your point. that yeah, If it was anyone else, we'd go, get out of town.
0: But you're. What are you saying to? Does only do only the strong survive? <laughs> and has Bruce survived? I
2: think this. Stars is, look, Alan. If this is this is a great, very well recorded album. He sounds great for the age of seven three. Looks amazing as well. Sean Hasby said, it is Bruce going back to his roots. And if it makes any listener go back to the originals, the job is yeah. done. Three out of five. Three out of five. Andrea.
3: Yeah. Look, I think. I absolutely agree if this was anybody else I would be (laughs) furious as to why we were even talking about it. He didn't write these songs so I can only I I, I can only judge this album on on how well these songs come across and I really think he makes the majority of them shine but especially the band. The band for Mm, me is a star here. Um, I'm giving it a three as well.
0: A three as well. Interesting. I'm looking at a tweet here from Ethel Crowley on that RT arena and she's quoting "An uh, an homage to black music I don't know which of you said that And she just says, "Absolutely." And Mm. I'm not sure whether that's a criticism or Mm. not. It's a kind of an interesting way of reviewing the album. It is. Are we talking cultural appropriation here? Perhaps. Perhaps. Perhaps we could be. Okay. Let us move on. Two threes. That's what we got there. Let's move on to album number two. Just the two for you this evening. Ha ha! Heartbreak from Belgian singer and songwriter uh, producer Warhouse. Here's a track (laughs) called "Open Window." Uh, my heart is broken <laughs> and I'm playing the guitar to try to cure it that's um, Open Window from Warhouse Warhouse as Alan Carr wants me to call him and therefore Andre Claire he wants me to call that Open Window that particular <laughs> track um, who are we talking about when we talk
2: about Warhouse Warhouse I'm only saying Warhouse uh, in terms of Barhouse okay? That's, okay that was the bad joke this is Belgium's foremost Als crooner Martin uh, Devildare May we call him Devil Dare? Devil Devil Dare. Dare. And this is a new album. It's fantastic. I love the bits. Uh, It sounds like it was recorded in bed uh, after he had heavy nights on on the bourbon. Uh, It's... uh, Beautiful, languorous, tasteful, jazzy arrangements, but some very strange yeah. kind of uh, stuff going on as well. It's a real headphone, yeah. a headphones album as well. I think the, the instruments and the playing on are, are marvellous. His voice reminds me of Barry Adamson, who yeah. was the bass player in the magazine, and also maybe an even possibly a happier Matt Johnson from There There. It's terribly Belgian. It's terribly French.
0: Oh, yeah, terribly Belgian, terribly French. But when your heart's broken and you're Martin Devil there, off you go to Sicily
3: Artie to write Bell. your songs. Oh, yeah. Right place to go oh.
0: to, to kind of fix the broken heart Which is maybe Where there's a bit of a laugh At the top of Ha ha heartbreak mm. Mm.
3: Yeah, off he went to Sicily to um, eat beautiful food and look longingly out a window and imagine his the love, window. Mm. the window, <laughs> and imagine his love sailing away. And, and it is that sort of very, very cinematic sense of yeah. stylishness all over this record. It made me think of the talented Mr Ripley. It made me yeah. think of those really mm. sepia-toned mm. kind of films. Very masculine Um in in its aesthetic, in its tone, uh, you know, he he does have, he's drawn comparisons vocally to kind of Leonard Cohen. I think there's a little bit of Kevin Morby in there as well. the vocals don't always work for me a couple of these songs gave me the heebie-jeebies I'm going to be honest with you but huh? if it's an affected sort of croony sleazy sort of thing I yeah. can understand it I just can't really tell if he's serious or All not right, okay. that's my
0: issue Well yeah it's a bit of a didgeridoo or something <laughs> like a didgeridoo mm. in there as well have a listen to a track called Desire Didgeridoo at the top a God for your inner
1: peace The God of love has a
0: I understand totally what that's um, from uh, Warhouse and Ha Ha Heartbreak. I kind of take uh, on board what you were saying, Andrea. Is Mm. he serious here or not?
3: It's kind of hard to work out, isn't it? It's hard to know whether the kind of the Leonard Cohen thing is homage or is he stepping into that role or is it a character he's playing I I think my, my main mm. issue with this is that while I absolutely love the really kind of sleek and dapper arrangements and the stylish actual music of it, like I, I love the bass in that for example I I, I love the inquisitive little chord that comes yeah. in every now and then but I find it hard to to really okay. drill into him, I don't right. really know what he's telling me.
2: Overall, what are you saying Alan? Uh, well I think this is wonderful touches of Maraconi John John Barry as well it's very fi- uh, film soundtrack uh, yeah. I enjoyed it it, it is not pervy and full of slightly naughty Dublin Tondres I'd give it a very strong 4 out of 5
0: a very strong 4 out of 5 and there's a track on it called Moldello's Melody so maybe he was looking out a window at the Moldello race track at one point as well as well as, as being in Sicily so you're 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 more positive about Ha Ha oh, Heartbreak yeah. really okay. liked it great voice really liked it and you're both saying yes to uh, Bruce Springsteen I think in your own ways Warhouse uh, Ha Ha Heartbreak only the strong survive from Bruce Springsteen by the I'm way sorry. Night Shift is probably my favourite track on the album <gasps> Says John Wallace oh. on on uh, at RTE Arena. So he so Loss he ears says, says ears to your Sean. reviews. He says so. Yeah, no. <laughs>
3: it's, it's, Sorry, it's John. Is his response there? No,
0: no. Okay.